This is Texas Veterans Mean Business, a production of the Entrepreneur Program of Texas Veterans Commission. Welcome everyone. I'm Christina Mortel, business consultant with the Veteran Entrepreneur Program of the Texas Veterans Commission. Today we feature part two of our interview with Jessica Flynn, CEO of Red Sky, addressing the challenges in women in veteran entrepreneurship. In this segment, we cover disparities in access to capital, women in STEM, and finish with a review of federal legislation affecting veterans in business. Welcome back, Jessica. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit more about funding. So from your research and information, and it's pretty well known that there is a gap here. How do we grapple with the fact that women-owned businesses are funded much less frequently and in lesser amounts than our male counterparts? And I'm really trying to get to the source of why that is. Is it resources? Is it education? Is it just there's not entities out there to issue the access to capital or just plain fear? And how do we increase our awareness around access to capital? I wish I had a really simple answer to it besides to say all of the above, which is I think Mm -hmm. it is resources, education, and awareness, and awareness on both sides, both the women that are seeking funding for growth and those who are in charge of distributing the funding, whether that should be through loan programs, venture capital, or any other type of investment. One thing I hadn't yet hit on from a data point standpoint was that there are nearly 13 million women-owned businesses in this country, and that's about 42% of U.S. businesses. Great number. We see that women-owned businesses, growth in the revenue that they're generating, it's gotten up to about $1.9 trillion. All of that sounds like great numbers until we look at the fact that women-owned businesses only account for 8% of the U.S. workforce and only 4.3% of U.S. total business revenue. So while we have more numbers of women-owned businesses and they're growing and they're increasing their revenue, it's still not keeping pace or showing the significant percentage we'd like it to. One of the things that we do look at is the fact that 90% of all women-owned businesses are what we call non-employer businesses. What that means is there's just one person working in them. That would be the founder Mm -hmm. of the business, which that number... I had never really thought about it before because I never thought that I, as a small business owner, came up against anything that kept me from growing because of my gender. But the numbers don't lie, and there's got to be something behind the fact that 90% of our women-owned businesses only employ one person. Imagine if they could scale by two or three people, if they could add people, what that would mean to their economic impact in this country would be huge. And some of the things that we look at is, do they have the ability to get the funding they need to take that next step? We're not seeing that they do, whether it was from the roundtables that we had where women said, you know, I go in and I present the same information that a male might present in order to get a bank loan and I don't get one. Well, what we hear from the bankers are the information they're coming in with is not structured in the way that meets the requirements of our loan. Then we have folks from the SBA saying, we have all these loans available, but the women say, We've never even heard of these programs. How do I find them? So on both sides of the equation, we have an opportunity both to present and structure the way we ask for funds in a better way. But on the opposite side, there needs to be more marketing and awareness of these programs so that women go after them. Some of the other numbers that we've looked at, you know, there's federal programs where they've had a goal of making sure that 5% of federal contracts go to women. 5% doesn't sound like that big of a number. We've never even hit that. We've only gotten to 4.7% of all federal contracts going to women-owned businesses. 
And some of the things that the NWBC looked at and has recommended is really making sure those grant officers that are in charge of some of these programs, these contracting officers, can do targeted marketing and better understanding of how to reach women-owned businesses. The other number that, to be honest, kind of infuriates me is the venture capital number. I think it's less than 3% of the venture capital in 2018 went to women-owned businesses. That's an abysmal number. What we've tried to see in some of the ways that we can make policy recommendations, because we can't boil the ocean, so what are those small steps we can take? Well, one of the things is looking at rather than going after venture capital right off the bat, can we increase the amount of angel investment, so those individuals that are investing in companies. Can we incentivize more angel investment in women-owned businesses? So that's one of the policy recommendations we made related to an angel investment tax credit. Well, to your earlier point about just having one employee in the company, I was reading through some of the materials, too, and saw the initiative for, I think, first employee tax credit. Uh, can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Yeah, I really think that one would be a huge opportunity to help increase kind of that first hire. I remember when we made our first employee hire, it was the four owners. None of us were taking paychecks, and this was going to be the time where we were going to have to be signing someone's paycheck every other week. And that's a huge hurdle, that first employee. And so that tax credit would really help small businesses, and I think it would be about 25% of the W-2 wages reported that could be claimed. And so I think we also were really looking at some of the areas that both we see a lot of women-owned businesses, so particularly in service industries, and then also trying to incentivize in areas where we'd like to see more growth, which was in some of the STEM fields as well. Well, well, let's talk about that too, the women in STEM. I know that that's one of the other initiatives that the council came up with. I know from my own personal experience that some of the challenges when I've tried to help women business owners with the SBIR or the STTR grants, it's really a challenge. But I was happy to see that the council is really focused on women in STEM and also working with some of the data that came out of the HB Historically Black College and Universities that came out. Can you talk a little bit about what the council's focused on in the Women in STEM program? Yeah, we're fortunate on our council to have a really diverse group of women business owners. One of the women on our council, I believe, is a regent at an HBCU. A lot of the policy recommendations that you're seeing are we have great networks among each of these focus areas. We also have a couple STEM companies that are represented by the council members as well. And what they were looking at They went through and shared their experiences of going through SBIR and STTR and that there needed to almost be a a phase zero so that people could really get a grasp on whether the idea or the opportunity they were looking at was even feasible. So a feasibility level before they invested all the time into those next three formal phases. So that was one of the areas they were looking at and making sure that there was more connectivity and engagement with some of these historical black colleges and universities to make sure that we're seeing more diversity in those STEM fields as well. Another thing that our council does is really try to hold the different areas of government to account for the things that they said they are going to do and they should be doing. And that's one of the areas we looked at with the U.S. Patent and Trade Office, that they really had some things that they were supposed to be doing to broaden out the diversity of those folks applying for patents, which directly feeds into STEM. And so we were encouraging them to implement the things that they had promised they would be moving forward on. 
Well, I'm glad you're doing that. I mean, holding them to account because now that I'm hearing all this, so many things that you're talking about, either initiatives, they either have to be written into or presented in legislation. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about what's already been passed maybe in the House and now is just sitting in the Senate waiting for approval or to even be reviewed so it can be approved finally by the Senate. So I do want to talk about that too. But before we go that route, of course, we've talked about the challenges that women entrepreneurship have in both the rural area, access to capital, and we've touched a little bit on STEM. I do want to talk about our veteran women. And when I think about Mm -hmm. my own experience about, I would say 22%, 25% maybe of all of our clients in the Texas Veterans Commission and the Entrepreneur Program, I would say are women entrepreneurs. We've talked about these challenges and these barriers that women have. And I've read through some of these numbers that potentially even worse situation for our women veterans who are wanting to start their own business and some of the challenges that they have. And wondering, can you talk a little bit about those challenges specific to veteran women and some of the data points that you may have from the council? Yeah. We did a veterans entrepreneurship data gathering in 2017, I believe. I kind of looked at what the available data was up through 2012 and then some other census data and what's being gathered by the federal government. And on the good news side, veteran women business owners are one of the groups of women business owners growing at a very high rate. They tend to be more ethnically and racially diverse than their male counterparts. They tend to have higher educational attainment, so have gotten more degrees or more certifications. But to your point, like we were talking about the non-employer firms, so if 90% of all women-owned businesses are non-employer firms, 97% of veteran women-owned businesses are non-employer firms, a much higher percentage of veteran women that they are the only employer in their business. While we're seeing, okay, they are increasing by certain percentages, more than 325% they're growing from 2007 through 2012. We're also seeing that they're starting their business with much less capital. So 40% of them started it with $5,000 or less, which when you're starting from such a small amount, does that restrict your ability to both seize opportunity and to grow? They're also kind of clustered in certain industries. So a lot of veteran women-owned firms are in five industries. We have healthcare and social assistance, professional, we have scientific and technical, and then retail, trade and construction, and administrative support. So veteran women are significantly underrepresented in industries such as information technology and educational spaces. So there's opportunities to grow into those spaces and also to gather the resources so they can scale and hire that first employee or to get the training they need to pursue and put together a business plan that gets them the loan or the SBA funding to help grow their business. I want to talk about a couple points that you mentioned. I'm kind of shaking my head thinking, oh my gosh, now the number's to 97% for a single employee company. And so, of course, if they would like to have additional employees, but they certainly can't make that happen right away, also due, in fact, to the lack of funding. One of the stats I also saw was for every dollar earned by non-veteran-women-owned firm, the average veteran-owned women firm only makes 32 cents. Two-thirds of the revenue is less for a women-veteran-owned company. And this is the type of stuff where you see this data and you're like, what is there? And I And I try to think of my own experiences. And I know I have 
undervalued my service and what I've charged. And it has taken me years and also hiring people that are much better at saying, no, this is our value and we will charge this rate. And I'm not sure if that afflicts women um, veterans more than non-veterans or more than the males, but I'm curious about that if it is just being able to identify and put a dollar amount to your value. If you've haven't had to do that. I mean, my business, we charge by the hour, we charge for our time. And so a lot of times it's trying to really understand what our value is and ask for it. Well, maybe that's definitely another area I need to focus on in my daily engagement with my own clients is really helping them understand what their value is and getting that comparative information they need in order to make an informed decision and understanding their value proposition. I think that that's really key. Exactly. Well, I want to still talk about the veteran aspect, Jessica. So I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit more about um, the legislation that's kind of in a holding pattern, if you will, that directly impacts our veteran population. So I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about that. I think there's two or three that are out there. Yeah, there are three that the council is currently tracking and keeping an eye on. Our council staff looks at all the legislation, particularly the ones that come through the small business committees of both the House and the Senate. So both of these have passed through the House and are sitting in the Senate in the Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. So the first one is called the SERVE Act, and that stands for Successful Entrepreneurship for Reservists and Veterans. It would require a report from the Controller General on the ability of veteran and reservist small business owners to access credit. And it would also require the SBA, which is the group that we advise, to develop a plan for outreach and promotion of the programs that are available to veterans, service-disabled veterans, reservists, and their spouses. I really think this would be a fabulous one that would help in that area that we talked about, which is marketing and awareness. Do the veterans know that these services are available? And I would add that a lot of this legislation includes representation of spouses of veterans as well. This got a lot of support. It passed the House in November 421 to 3. Wow. I mean, that would probably be a huge game changer if it could really complete the legislative cycle and get approved by the Senate. And I will say that one was bipartisan and who sponsored it. So it was co-sponsored by representative out of Kansas, a Democrat, and a representative out of Ohio, a Republican. So that was a bipartisan piece of legislation. The next one we are keeping an eye on is what's called the Veteran Entrepreneurship Training Act. And it would amend the Small Business Act to codify for five years the Boots to Business Program, which you might be aware of already, which helps transitioning service members launch and grow small businesses. So it was initially launched in 2012, and it's looking at making sure that this can continue because Veteran Business Outreach Centers uh, deliver these services to 180 military installations nationwide to really help with this transition assistance. That one also passed 424 to 1. I'm not sure who the one was. And it's in the Senate (laughs) Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee. We are familiar with the Boots to Business, and I think it has been effective. And what we've seen is after our clients go through the Boots to Business, we're able to work with them since we're a state entity more one-on-one and help them develop what they learned in Boots to Business and help them with this very critical first year transitioning out. So I think that's a great program, and we've helped many veterans in that program as they contact the VP team. And then, Jessica, I know you mentioned there's a third piece of legislation that's Yeah. This one is the Service Disabled Veterans Small Business Continuation Act. And so it would allow 
surviving spouse of um, a less than 100% service-disabled veteran to retain federal contracting preference. So it would be the spouse being able to continue on with that federal contracting opportunity for three years. And it sounds like currently only surviving spouses of 100% service-disabled veterans can retain that. So it's broadening out the service-disabled definition to allow for these other spouses to continue on. And that passed unanimously, 423 to zero, and is now in the Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee in the Senate. I know that would be great, too. I mean, I'm obviously working with SDVOBs all the time as well. So any assistance that we can give them to remain successful or to continue with success is critical. So we talked about these key legislative bills that have been going through that have passed the House. What do you think we should be doing? Should we be contacting our legislators? I know it's kind of hard now with all of our focus and efforts being on the pandemic situation and course correcting to keep us on track as a country and our economy. Should we be reaching out to our representatives and saying, hey, continue to work on this. This is important. It will have a great impact. I do think that anybody who has a voice and a story to share should share that perspective. It is amazing to me that the stories and the -the on-the-ground experiences that we're bringing forward from the NWBC to some of our congressmen and policymakers, they want to hear the specifics. They want to know the real lives impacted behind pieces of legislation. So I would definitely encourage your listeners to do that. And it doesn't have to be some very formal or structured, fancy piece of email or a letter. It's their true experience and what they're looking for from their representatives. I do know that House Committee on Small Business, you do have a Texas representative on there. I didn't see one in the Senate, but you do have two Texas representatives on the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. So while we mainly focus on small business issues, I would say also reaching out to your representatives on these other important committees is equally impactful. Okay, well, that's good to know, because I think it's really important that we reach out to them. And this is an election year, so important to stay active on all these other issues that are impacting a small business. Jessica, how can our listeners get involved with the National Women's Business Council, either locally or nationwide? Uh, And also, can you provide the website for that so they can also find more information? Yeah. We love for people to sign up and follow along with everything that we're doing and to give us feedback on it as well. The website is nwbc.gov, so nwbc, National Women's Business Council, .gov. You can sign up and subscribe and get our mailings about our reports, about roundtables that we're hosting all over the country. We also do a webinar Wednesday, I want to say either once a month or every other month, that are focused on different issues, whether it's specific things from SBA programs to insights that we may be garnering around STEM or rural entrepreneurship. We do have two public meetings every year. There's always one in Washington, D.C. and one somewhere else in the country. I think this year, depending on how travel goes, it may be up in New Hampshire. So when we have these public meetings, we always want members of the business community to come out and participate, give us feedback, and also hear what we're up to. We are on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn under NWBC, so you can follow us there for more information as well. And then lastly, Jessica, is there anything else you want to mention about 2020? I know in each one of the initiatives, the council has mentioned moving forward to 2020 and beyond what that might look like and that they're continuing the effort to work with the legislature 
in finding resolution to some of these issues that they have out there. Yeah, we are really focused in 2020 from a rural entrepreneurship standpoint. We're looking at rural broadband access, and we're also looking at access to child care and access to affordable child care. A lot of our issues don't just stay within our one issue area. Access to child care is something that cuts across all different demographics and has really impacted the ability of businesses and small businesses to grow and scale. It's also one of the priorities for our new SBA administrators. That's definitely one we're going to be looking at and gathering input and insights on. We are continuing to look at ways to figure out the women-owned participation in SBIR and STTR programs. So it looks like we're going to be funding a study this year to really drill down and get data. A lot of times we're held back by lack of data on women-owned businesses related to any of these issues. So we're starting to see where is there a gap in the data that we need to fill so we can make some good policy recommendations. Wow, that's good to know. And I can't tell you how important this conversation has been to not only inform our listeners, but myself as well, about all that's going on behind the scenes that we're often not talking about. Jessica, we've covered a lot of ground today, and I would love to have you back on the show for an update on the council, as well as any legislative updates. And I want to thank you for the great work you are doing on behalf of women entrepreneurs with the council in your local community and really the impact that it's having nationwide. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for everything you're doing to support our veteran business owners and the impact they have. I really appreciate it. And thanks for taking the time to have me on. Yes, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. In this segment, Jessica mentioned our Texas representatives that serve on the House subcommittees on small business and veteran affairs. For your information, our representatives are Mark Vesey, Texas 33, who sits on the small business subcommittee, and Colin Allred, Texas 32, and Chip Roy of Texas 21, who sit on the House Committee for Veteran Affairs. That's it for this week's episode of the VEP Podcast. I want to thank our guest, Jessica Flynn, CEO of Red Sky and Women Entrepreneurship Advocate. Again, if you'd like to learn more about the National Women's Business Council, check out the website, nwbc.gov, that's novemberwhiskeybravocharlie.gov, and sign up for email updates to stay informed. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on the CastBox app. Thank you for listening, and join us again for more topics on veteran small business. I'm Christina Mortel. This is Consultant with the Veteran Entrepreneur Program of the Texas Veterans Commission. Stay well, everyone.